Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Sorry I um, screwed up and thought that um, I wasn't doing a Sunday Edition this this Sunday, but I am. Um, and I do have something to talk about, but before we get started on that, if you have not listened to my episode on Cyberpunk Edge Runners somehow, um, definitely go t- give that a listen. It's a really interesting show. It's part of the inspiration behind this at behind what I'm going to talk about mainly in this Sunday edition so definitely go check that out um if you are new to the podcast because cyberpunk edge runners as an episode is doing very well surprise surprise um definitely go check out the rest of the back catalog I've talked about all kinds of stuff if you're into anime or nerdy things or media I think it would be worth your time to check out the rest of the backlog of the podcast. Um, I've probably covered some stuff you've never heard of or covered some stuff that you love and you wish somebody would talk about. Um, Stuff like that. So definitely go check that out in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. On that note, let's get started because today I want to talk about how and why we get the anime and the art we do. And what I mean there is every time you are every time you're consuming art more or less outside of someone's home or um a museum, there is a public there's a, there's at least some sort of like driving economic force behind it. And even when you see art in somebody's home, there is a driving economic force behind it. The thing that makes museums different is they are essentially curations of people's art. And generally speaking, they're there for archival purposes in a way. They may pay for... I'm not super sure how like modern art museums work with like living artists, but... their job is essentially to curate art to it's a huge honor to have a piece in a museum um to give you an idea the the jackass two um when they made that dildo cannon which if you haven't seen jackass two or you're unfamiliar with the work with the styling the works of the likes of johnny knoxville um they made a dildo cannon because because they Needed to make a dildo cannon for reasons. Um, don't don't question jackass. It's hilarious. Um, but that dildo cannon, which I've said those two words a lot, um, actually ended up in the MoMA because it's a piece of absurdist art and design in the modern day. And like you ask Johnny Knoxville, and he's like floored. He's like. I can't believe they wanted that thing for the MoMA permanent exhibit. And you can, like, go see this thing in the MoMA in New York. It's hilarious. Um, But it's also, like, it's art. It's a piece of creativity. It was was made to exist for its own sake in the way that art is. And, like, if you look at Jackass as juvenile and insane as it can seem... There is art to it in a 
weird, sick way. And part of the beauty of Jackass and part of the reason people love Jackass is because it exists in a way because it shouldn't. And it exists in a way because it shouldn't because people will pay to go see those fucking movies. And when Jackass was on air, it was constantly fighting against the system that was that was enabling it to be made because they wanted to do things with with the medium of you know comedic tv that studios didn't want to do because it would cost them money if they fucked up and they tried all this stuff and wouldn't and it wouldn't work and the reason why i'm saying this is i'll get to in a second but just Stick with this. If you know anything about Jackass, um, you know that they're not the kind of show that would want or need, uh, that would want, but might need in terms of like legal liability, an OSHA an OSHA advisor. If you don't know what OSHA is, OSHA is the compliance, it's a compliance framework that makes sure that like the workplace is safe and like safe and a safe and healthy workplace. And if you know anything about Jackass, Jackass is all about taking like this extended cast of chuckle fucks is what I'm going to call them. Chuckle fucks. Um, Johnny Knoxville, um, occasionally Bam Margera, um, most notably Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O though. If you know Steve-O and you're like, why the fuck is this weirdo famous? It's because of Jackass. And some celebrity, like, some celebrity, um, sorry, spider. Um, some celebrity, uh, cat, like, guest cast members, like, um, there was a, there was a thing called Off-Road Tattoo in Jackass 2 that was, with the off-road vehicle, the ATV, was driven by um, Henry, Henry Rollins. And, like, his job was to drive the ATV and introduce the segment. And it was hilarious. Because um, you get Henry Rollins saying, like, I'm Henry Rollins, this is Off-Road Tattoo. And he just fucking floors it. Um, they don't, like... They're designed around not having an OSHA OSHA compliance officer on staff. And so what they ended up doing was they ended up shifting the way they make their art. And they ended up making movies instead. Because with movies, you just got like a big old pile of money and nobody tell you what to do. (laughs) And so that, that kind of introduces you into the things... In the background of all the art we love. And what I mean there is. When we're we're watching anime. There's there's a screen that's way more important than anybody realizes. And it used to be a significantly more prominent thing than it is now. Mostly because it used to have significantly more. um, What's the best word for it? A, logos on it, and B, um, those logos used to be bigger, badder, more important logos. So, Bleach is coming back on the, I believe, on October 10th. Um, And 
Bleach is coming back on October 10th to a lot of fanfare, and I would bet that you're probably watching, like, the tail end of the last run of Bleach just to, like, sort your brain out. I watched the last episode of, the last, the last aired episode of Bleach a couple days ago, actually, and I noticed something really interesting. The logo splashed clean it was there, and it was proud, and it was a big deal. And one of the logos on there was a little company called Dentsu. If you don't know what Dentsu is, Dentsu is one of the biggest advertising firms in the world, and it's a Japanese ad agency. It's a huge deal to work there. If you are in advertising, you get to work at Dentsu in any capacity. Like, you've hit the big leagues. It's a big deal. I've worked at companies that are like in the same airspace as Dentsu. I worked for Cement Block, which is a um, giant pharmaceutical ad agency, actually. I've also worked for Publicist, which is a giant general ad agency. And what that tells you when you're watching Bleach is that tells you the kind of money that is supporting, that is part of the supporting structure behind that art because make no mistake as as many feelings as you may have about bleach in one way or another bleach is art and and bleach is even more art than many is even more artistically minded than many um big shonen titles out there part of the reason people love it so much even if they don't realize it and Here's what I want to talk about um, Edge Runners just a little bit more, because Edge Runners is a really interesting thing. It's a really interesting product before it is necessarily art. And I talked about this a little in the in like the myths of my rambling for the um, Edge Runners podcast, but Edge Runners is a product that exists to promote another product that is a product from a big company that makes a lot of money that put out a product that for all intents and purposes was a dumpster fire, but it was so big of a marketing success that it still sold millions of copies. I think um, I've re-listened to the uh, Cyberpunk 2077 podcast that I did, which if you're interested in listen- hearing my thoughts about the video game Cyberpunk 2077, that is also in the feed of the podcast in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. Now, the th- thing there is that even though that thing was a flop, that thing, that thing was a massive disaster of a video game release, it was still a success. They even I think the number that I found at that time was even after all the returns, all the like unmitigated disaster of returns, were like Sony pulled it off of the PlayStation Store for like I think over a year. They had sold 13 million copies. That's the that's that's a huge deal. And that huge deal means that they still have a huge, still probably have a huge play base of playing that game. Um, and CD Projekt Red has had issues like this before. 
You should never have been, we should never have been surprised. But what they're doing now and what's really, in, what they've been doing from the start is they have been employing and throwing, they've been throwing money around at artists to do really interesting things with the property. And that's how you get a show like Cyberpunk Edge Runner. That's how you get a show uh, like that thing. And that's how you get most things. The anime that's adapted, the um, manga that's adapted into anime, it's not adapted into anime because people, f for the love of the art of it, I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure that there are people all up and down the chain who love the manga that's chosen to be adapted. Otherwise, things like One Ounce wouldn't be adapted. If you don't, if you don't know what One Ounce is, One Ounce is a weird baseball gambling anime that, like, wherever it came from is insane. Because um, <laughs> it is insane. But I should watch that whole series instead of just some of it and talk about it, but damn it. Um, but you look at something like Pokemon... And that doesn't necessarily have a manga attached to it, but it is a multimedia empire. Video games, anime, a card game. You look at something like Yu-Gi-Oh! Same thing. Multimedia empire. You look at something like, um, let's take a lesser known one, Dot Hack. It was a multimedia empire in its day. You can watch the ton there's Tons of different variants of dot .hack anime that are really interesting and really, or really fun that all revolve around this core thing of a video game. And that that's a little different than, that's more of the Pokemon model than the Yu-Gi-Oh model. But these, but all, either way, all of these things service making one or more of the things that they service bigger and more financially viable. And that's why these companies do this. So let's circle back around to Dentsu now. Dentsu is pouring money in to a show like Bleach because Bleach will make money. Bleach will make advertising money. And if they want to double dip, what they can do is they can be getting money from the product sales of Bleach, which are massive, uh, probably still significant, actually, for as big as they were, and it can also get ad spot money by making the advertisements that play on Bleach when it airs on TV television in Japan. That's some double-dipping awesomeness, and being that Dentsu is one of the largest advertisers in the world, chances are good that that will happen. And I'm not, this is not a anti-capitalist Alex episode. Hopefully it's a while before I've got to make another one of those, goddammit. But one of the reasons why I do those is because I think it's good media literacy to know how all this stuff works. Not necessarily to have it in the back of your head, not necessarily to have it front of mind every time you're watching your favorite show. And I, this applies to all media, by the way. Like, when you're watching Lord of the Rings. So, a perfect example here. If you go watch right now on um, Netflix, I finally watched Constantine, the um, 
the adaptation of the comic book character and like world of Constantine with Keanu Reeves in it because it's on Netflix and I was bored and I had a day off. Um, and to the point in that movie where they should, I'm, as you may know, if you've listened to this podcast a while, I'm a collector of fine time pieces at this point. I've, I buy myself affordable watches because I can and they're cool and pretty and I like them. Actually, today I'm wearing the, I just got it, the Fossil X Pokemon Center Gengar watch and it is gorgeous. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun time. I've swapped the band out. I'm not wearing the, um, all black band. I'm wearing like a purple camo silicon band, which is also fun. But, um, it comes with a third band that is not a thing I like. Um, so I did not put it on this watch. But, he's wearing a Oris, a like really beautiful, probably custom, um, Oris, which he may still have actually. But they give you a product shot of that thing like nobody's business. Like, they frame it up on screen for, like, a full 15 seconds so, like, you can see the detailing in the Aura's watch. And that's on purpose. That's that, that's that movie making money for that comp Making money. And that company paying for that shot. If you go watch, um, watches are actually a really good example of this, especially in the, um, pre-iPhone days, in the pre-Apple Watch days. If you watch, um, the Men in Black movies, they all have a moment where they show you a watch shot, where they show the watch, like, by itself on screen. And that's part of the financial driver of how movies get made. This is true for most things you see, there is a financial driver behind it. Even if that financial driver is as simple as, we made it so we can get more subscribers, like the Ring of Power. The Ring of Power is deeply expensive to make, but it is also a way to drive subscribers to Amazon Prime, to, to not even to Amazon Prime Video, but to Amazon Prime. Amazon is hoping you will subscribe to, you will get a, Amazon Prime subscription, which is how they get toilet paper to your house next day, so you can watch Ring of Power on the attached stream video streaming platform. And Am Amazon had done this with anime twice. Um, they did it with, actually three times, three significant times at least. They did it first with a service called Anime Strike. Um, actually, it's four times, I'm uh, mistaken. They did it for, by designing Amazon Prime Video the way, so that anything went. Like, you could put something on Amazon Prime Video and charge to watch it, and charge a rental fee to watch it, or charge an ownership fee, or charge a buying fee to watch it. You could include it with Prime, which means that once you subscribe to Prime, you could watch anything on there. Um, but you could also... But then they tried to do a service called Anime Strike, which was an extra five bucks a month, which did not fly well with the Amazon Prime cost, which was like over a hundred dollars a month at that time a year. I think it was like a hundred and twenty. And then they instead did a they licensed an entire programming block. They licensed the Neutomina Pro 
programming block. I think that's only now just starting to end because Noi Tomino show stuff is showing up on like um, high dive and shit. Finally, which is a nice break from oh god, I got I gotta keep like people have to have Amazon Prime to watch things like Vinland Saga. That's why shows like Vinland Saga or Recreator were not blowing up the way they should have because they were like contained in behind the hundred and twenty dollar wall of Amazon Prime subscription. All this stuff is relevant and all this stuff but all this stuff feeds money into the creative world to create art for the public to consume because it's not art and product are not and really never were separate. Artists in the like eight in like the battle days in like r- r- even Roman times were employed. There's actually a great <laughs> there's a great example of this in that Roman bathhouse time traveling show. I, f- I talked about it on this podcast. You can find it um, in the um, in whatever app you're using. Listen to me right now um, in the feed. But there's a great example of this. There's um, in that in like the Roman bathhouse show. It's like a side thing. They show this side character who's making all of these statues, making all of these Roman statues. Of the former emperor's lover. And making like 20 of these goddamn statues. Identical. He is creating these beautiful. But replicate. Beautiful copies. Of this beautiful statue. For. As basically a bulk order from a dude. And a lot of the sh- that show is about that character, about the main character designing baths for a specific purpose, like do do doing the art of architecture of like a specific style of thing for the purpose of a per- of a specific client, and it's a big deal, and it it it, it shows him. It, like, explicitly said, like, this guy's making money doing this. This guy's currying favor doing this. And that's been true in time since before any of us were born. It's only pretty recently that humanity has, like, allowed itself to think of art as, like, a creative, as a purely creative thing. And I'm not saying, like individual people because individual people have been driven to create since there were people hey look at the cave drawings but up until up until very recently in the like terms of history those people have had to create things under the pressure of the people with money that that's Largely what, um, that's a lot of what the background elements of Saratobi Myth Hokusai, another thing I've talked about on this podcast, can you tell I was a former art student, is about, like, it's about, like, if you watch that movie, Hokusai and his daughter are constantly, like, in addition to, like, the kind of, like, malaise and story of that movie, they're making commercial art for people. (laughs) Like Hokusai, it's like to the 
great scene where um, Miss Hokusai, Hokusai's daughter, I forget her proper name in that movie, um, accidentally flicks an ash on a dragon painting, and it has to be redone, because it had to be redone um, because the uh, client because the client want, expects it tomorrow or something. And that's like a that's like an odd sticking point of that movie. Even if you watch something like NUO, NUO is a lot more political than than Saratobi Miss Hokusai. Although Saratobi Miss Hokusai has um Saratobi Miss Hokusai, sorry, has a lot had a lot of things to say. But they they get in in UO, the main characters get in trouble because they're pulling they're pulling viewers away from the officially recognized artists. And just really what I'm saying here is if you see something interesting, especially if you see something interesting that's attached to a to a thing that you've heard of before, even if you've something is something that you haven't heard of before. Next time you see a video game tie-in anime, Genshin Impact, the new Genshin Impact anime that was just announced, is a really great example of this. Ask yourself why they're doing it. Ask yourself, like, I can guarantee you they're doing the Genshin Impact anime to get more people to play that game. And I bet the Genshin Impact anime will come out, and all of a sudden, Genshin Impact on Switch will be available. And you'll be able to play that game on Switch. And follow along with the new anime airing this year. Simulcast on Crunchyroll. And you'll... Like I said, you don't need to think about this day in, day out. It does not need to... Like, it shouldn't... It shouldn't impede your love of the media... Of the medium of anime... But it bears thinking about because it, it it will enrich in some cases your um understanding of of the medium that you that you of the medium that you're participating in, that you're a participant in, even in a small way, because you're watching it on Crunchyroll, because you bought a figure, because you bought merch of some kind, because you go to an anime con and you go you meet the create you meet the creators of your favorite things. This is how this is how the sausage is made, baby. This is why the sausage is made. Um, like I keep saying, it's not. I'm not trying to say like everything should be for the profit motive. Everything needs to be profitable. Um, this I saw an article on um CBR recently that was like, hey, these are ten anime that and I. Generally, I see the see all these like ten anime that like have like hapless main characters or whatever the fuck, and I don't pay them any mind. But this one was actually kind of interesting. It was ten cult classic anime that were that are that are seen as absolute quintessential cult classic anime that were not successful, and it's stuff like Nichijo. It's stuff like um. It's, it's stuff like Nichijou. It's stuff like, hilariously, the second season of Love Hina. 
that are that like we think about as being like classics, as being like deeply as two deeply funny things, but most people think about as but but those companies think about as unsuccessful. Like it Nietzsche Joe is funny as shit. The the deer wrestling suplex the that you see in that show is hilarious. It's it's a it's a meme for God's sake. The whole that whole show is like a living, breathing meme factory. It's great. But um Kill Annie is just like doesn't know what to do with it. You don't see much merch for it because it wasn't financially successful, so it's not financially viable to make merch for it. And that shows you the considerations of those shows. But also, it wasn't successful for a reason. Like, people love it, sure, but it's not... It's... it. If given the option to watch that or Dragon's Maid, you're probably going to choose Dragon's Maid. And there's a lot of the comedy chops of Nichijo in a show like Dragon's Maid. So, even though it wasn't made... It did not... It was not super financially successful... It was made. It ends up being made for purpose because it ends up being rickrolled into another kind of art, and that's the thing I really want to leave you with. Is like, think about the stuff that you've watched that's been bad, and then think about the stuff you've watched later from the same creators that has been excellent, and you'll probably see a lot of connective tissue in both, because, and this is part of the reason why you get dirges of capital C content out of a out of a property like Cyberpunk. It's because they need to take as many stabs as, at it as possible to produce things that will be viable, that will be successful. Not because they are they make financial sense, but because they are at a quality level that will that that people will be like, this is worth watching. This is worth sitting down and watching. Now that is true of Cyberpunk Edge Runners. At this point, should you play the Cyberpunk video game? You can. Like the core of that game is still the core of that game. It's not going to like the core of that game cannot unless it can change any way they want to, but, like, the core story of that game will always be the core story of that game. If you're not into it, you're not into it. But, should you watch Cyberpunk Edge Runners? I, I say this in the, in the episode previous to this, absolutely. It is an interesting story, at the very least. And if, Cyberpunk, the video, 2077, the video game, need to be released to get to something like Cyberpunk Edgerunners, so be it. And that's, that's the way, that's the way art works, that's the way art has always worked. It has always been a financial enterprise. Because creative people need to make money to eat. And that's a big deal in creative families, in create in like creative relationships in creative and in, in the creative life like if you watch um if you watch another 
another show called Nana. Nana, one of the main characters, Nana, Nana Osaki, not um, Hachi. Um, Nana Osaki, her big deal is like she just wanted to make enough money to feed herself and feed herself, clothe herself, and have a place and have a place of her, and have a place to live with her music. And when she's doing that, when that when that finally happens, she she feels like she's made it in a way that's a big deal. And that's true of any kind of artist. Like we all want to make money, we all want to make enough money to be successful and happy in our lives. And but the thing is is that artists have the ability to create things out of nothing. We have the ability to be given a pencil and paper and give you a beautiful drawing. And art as a thing is so truly valuable to the human spirit that it is, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be exist. The human spirit kind of can't exist without that form of expression so it is invaluable so of course people will pay money for it people will pay money for your art people pay money for my art <laughs> people pay money put advertisements on podcasts because the it's a form of art it's a form of creativity and just but just know that people are paying money for it that things exist because someone figured out how they could make money off the back of it. On that note, I'm going to um, leave it. And, and also, that that's not a bad thing all the time. It's something to consider. It's something to remember when you're watching something like Cyberpunk Edgerunners, which is all about... which is, like, partially about corporations ruling the world. Um, but... It's a, it's a thing that should exist in your head. And on, on that note, I've been Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. If you like this episode, new episodes of podcasts come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Um, the Sunday editions are like this. They're metatextual. They're like big brain thinking. They're about the industry. They're about creativity. They're about anime fans. They're about the anime industry. Um... They're about the medium as a whole. And Thursday editions are much simpler. They are about a single show. They're my thoughts on, like, a single property or something like that. On that note, I will talk to you on Thursday.